Well, Lord, as we come before you in this time of meditation, we are in the vigil of, of the assumption of um, your mother, of Our Lady. In the traditional days, um, days before big feasts would be, would be a vigil day. And as a vigil day, it'd be actually a day of fasting, right? It'd be a day of fasting, a little bit more penance, kind of preparing for the feast, um, which then would begin at sundown. And so that's kind of the tradition of not, not eating uh, on Christmas Eve even until, until after the, um, you know, until night. Um, and that also is probably where the tradition of, of eating like fish on Christmas Eve, because as a vigil day, you probably would abstain from meat as well. So that's where that tradition of having a lot of fish on, on Christmas Eve would have would have come from as well um luckily the irish never really did that so i don't have to try to eat fish on christmas eve but it um but today's the vigil of the assumption the vigil of our lady um and and her uh, assumption into heaven and we read in the catechism um this is from pope uh pius the 12th finally the immaculate virgin preserved free from all stain of original sin when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted as by the Lord as the queen over all things so that she might be more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death. That at the end of Mary's life, by a very singular grace and as the fulfillment of the, of the Immaculate Conception, our mother was assumed body and soul into heaven. And that this, this is a tremendous blessing. Um, th this is so, so beautiful, uh, what, what God does for our mother. It's out of his pure goodness that he does this for her. Uh, Mary didn't earn the Immaculate Conception when we consider that singular, you know, to, to be given a, the, the greatest grace that any mere human could be given. Um, and to be given it at the moment of your conception, like you, you didn't earn that. This is God's total grace, his, his divine initiative. Um, and then the fulfillment of that in the assumption. Again, it's the pure goodness of God. I remember I was arguing with someone, maybe arguing, maybe just discussing strongly. But we were having a, a conver an intense conversation about some of the Marian uh, dogmas of the church. And she's like, well, why? Like, why did, why did God have to do that? Why, why is this part of, why do you have to have, believe in the assumption of, of Mary? Why did this have to happen? And the answer is, it didn't have to happen, but God did it anyway. Like, you know, oftentimes people could ask in a worldly sense, um, well, why, like, what's the bare minimum? And let's just say that we get to that, right? Let's, what's the bare minimum that God has to do? And then that's all that we're going to believe. Like, what a stingy God that is, right? What, what, a, what a just total, like, what's the bare minimum I have to do for all of you? I'm just going to do that. We're just going to just pure that. Like, that's, that's not our, our magnanimous God, right? I don't know if you could call God magnanimous. Um, probably all magnanimity comes to, you know, our, our gracious God, overflowing with goodness. What's the bare minimum God had to do for humanity? Nothing. We don't have to exist. We don't, the very fact that we're, we're alive right now is, is God's total goodness to us. And so this as well, this, this blessing, this total blessing uh, of the Heavenly Father to, to his daughter um, 
out of his pure goodness that at the end of her life she's assumed body and soul into heaven. And, and again, you know, so St. Hilary Maria goes through, uh, he quotes St. John Damascene. It was fitting that she who in childbirth preserved intact her virginity should preserve without corruption her body after the conclusion of her earthly life. It was fitting that she who bore in her womb the creator became, become a babe should dwell in a divine mansion. It was fitting that the spouse of God be taken to the heavenly home. It was fitting that she who witnessed her son on the cross suffering in her heart then the pain she was spared in childbirth should contemplate him seated at the right hand of the father. It was fitting that the mother of God should come to possess what belongs to her son and that she be honored as mother and servant of God by all creatures. And then he goes on to quote St. John Duns-Scotus, uh, Blessed John Duns-Scotus. Um, you just put it this way. Look, it was fitting God could do so, so he did it. Like, it was fitting that God could do this, so he did it. Like, again, I just think the, the total good, when we contemplate the assumption, we can contemplate this total goodness of God. It's fitting that he could do it, so he did it, right? It's like when someone buys our dinner. Like, do they have the money to do it? Yeah. Is it, is it fitting? Is there anything totally wrong with it? No. So he, they do it. <laughs> okay. It's the goodness of God. You know, that, that is uh, the fittingness. Uh, it's fitting that God could do this, so he does it. And that's how he acts with us, right? This is the pattern of how God acts with us, that it's fitting that he do things, that he does things out of love for us, and therefore he does it. He just does it because he's so good. That's the, the total goodness of God. And that all of these blessings, they're done for our mother. Um, our mother, right? Mary is, is our mother. We have been reborn in Christ, and Christ is the new Adam. Mary is the new Eve. Um, and so this is our mother. And Mary, um, the mere human, right? Now, again, when you, when you um, call Mary a mere human, it's like calling Elon Musk a mere billionaire, right? He's just a mere billionaire, right? Mary, but Mary, you got you to gotta say that because the greatest blessings on humanity come through the hypostatic union of God made man in, our, in her son. So she's, she's always the, the number two. She's always the moon to the sun and infinitely number two because um, she's not God. But the highest person who's not God is our mother. And that she's our mother she shares our humanity mary has the exact same humanity that we have except not corrupted we'll get to that in a little bit but um the exact same humanity we have and so when we consider the assumption when we consider mary um being taken up to heaven and and you know the glory that she um that she received we celebrate saints on the day that they die, usually, right? A saint's feast day is usually the day... Today is actually the day that Blessed Michael McGivney died. Um, but we had to... He can't trump Maximilian Colby. And so there was a, you know... I guess he can't trump Maximilian Colby, but he can trump St. Hippolytus. So Punch and Hippolytus, whatever. One of them was an anti-pope. So they could, they could get trumped by Michael McGivney. But not Maximilian Colby, right? So I don't know. That's why they, I think that's why they chose yesterday as his feast day, which is all the day between his birthday and his death day. It was the 13th. And so I, whatever. The point is, normally you celebrate a saint on the day they die. Um, and so we... Um, 
we try to get a saint's feast day as close to the day as they died, regardless of what day they were born. Well, Mary didn't die. She never died. Her, her life ended at the end of her earthly life, the dogma proclaims, whether that's after she took her last breath or as she was taking it or whatever, her soul never separated from its body, ever. Um, and she saw no corruption in that way. But um, in this, like, so if, if you celebrate a saint the day that they, they die or that their soul leaves earth, well, that's for our mother tomorrow, right? That, that's what she, that's her day. He, she has all these other days, her Immaculate Conception, her birthday, um, the day that she received the Annunciation of the Abel, Angel Gabriel, uh, Mary under a lot of different titles. But tomorrow is like the day that like every other saint. And I don't know, when we say like, the fact is our mother who shares our humanity is taken up to heaven. It's kind of like with the Ascension, um, it, but it's, you know, tomorrow as well. And it's like with any other, it's like, well, our, my mom's in heaven, right? Um, like Mary, uh, my mother is, is in heaven. And that she, um, we share in that. Like I, when, when the Red Sox win the World Series, I say we won the World Series, right? I'm, I'm part of, I've, I've never stepped foot on the, on the grass in Fenway Park. I, um, but when the Red Sox win the World Series, I say we, we won the World Series. How, if my, if my Australian football team wins, wins the grand final, they're not going to, they're, they're pretty bad. I was talked into rooting for a team that is never going to win, almost ever. Um, but if they win, I'm going to, like, we won the grand final. I'm going to call my Australian friends. We won. We were like, we won. I've never played Australian football a day in my life, right? Um, but we won. Because I, I'm part of the, the, this corporate body, this, this group, um, all the more so with the church, that our mother is taken up to heaven. And so we rejoice in that. That that's something that we, we rejoice, that our mother is taken up to heaven. And that we celebrate this because it is, um, for us, it's a, it's a, it's a sign. It's a, it's a reminder of what's to come. Uh, in the preface for the Mass tomorrow, um, we are going to pray, For today the Virgin Mother of God was assumed into heaven as the beginning and image of the Church's coming to perfection and a sure sign of, a, a sign of sure hope and comfort to your pilgrim people. That our Mother, when she's assumed into heaven, um, it's the beginning in the image of the churches coming to perfection. And so one day the church will be brought to this total glorified perfection. And that we as members of the church, God willing, will be in heaven, um, contemplating God face to face, crowned with glory, and that this is, this is where the church rightly belongs. This is the goal of the church, is to get to heaven. And so Mary is the beginning of this. She's the first one of the church um, to make it to that, that glory. She's the beginning and the image. That she, she's for us that reminder of what we are, what we're planning, what we're, what we're made for. Uh, and so when we look at our mother in that way, we should see like we're meant to follow her, right? This is not, it, it, it is the same as well in... Um, 
with regard to um, it's the same as well with regard to the ascension, right? That that in the ascension, like we we're meant to follow. We're, we're we the the members are meant to follow where Christ, our head, has gone before us. I think we pray in the preface for them. Pay attention to the prefaces; they always tell us some really beautiful spirituality and theology. Unfortunately, they come after the homily, so it's very tough to give a homily about the preface unless you really plan in advance to reference it. And again, uh, all of this is the fitting conclusion of the Immaculate Conception, um, which, uh, in which Mary, being conceived immaculately, without any taint of original sin, is rightly the enemy of the devil. That this is you know, we have the litany of the, de- of the, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we, so, you know, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is one that's particularly fitting for tomorrow. And uh, Gate of Heaven is another one. Um, the Queen assumed into heaven, obviously. I don't know. If I, if I ever get the chance to add something to the litany of, of Our Lady, I'd, call, I'd put the enemy of the devil, right? Mary's just the, the enemy of the devil. That's, there's, God says... Um, you know, in this kind of proto-evangelion, this this first um, this first gospel, God says to the devil, to the serpent, um, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Right? I will put enmity between you and the woman. Um, that Mary is a real enemy of the devil and a total enemy. Right, this is this is this is all out war. This is there there is no um like she will crush his head. Um it is a uh it is an intense act, right? They are total mortal enemies. And so um that that's that's a beautiful thing because you know, we on account of our original sin that the devil um we share in that first sin of our parents, Adam and Eve. And that as much as we claim to be enemies of the devil, as much as we claim to be enemies of sin, to have rejected Satan at our baptism and again at our confirmation, and every time we renew our baptismal promises, like we're secret friends with sin. That that's the result of concupiscence. That we secretly have a friendship with sin. And that we, we maybe don't like. We know that sin's a bad friend. Hopefully we know sin is a bad friend. Um, but even if we've turned away from sin, like we're secretly friends, having spent a little bit more time on social media, like sin is like that that bad friend or that that ex that you like you still check their social posts right i'm gonna i know that you're bad for me i know this didn't work out i'm still gonna i'm gonna still check and see what you're doing right um well we do that with sin like that's exactly what we do like i know that we're not good for each other right i'm a child of god and you're trying to make me a child of damnation and we're not good for each other and this is really bad, but I'm still going to check and see what you're doing, right? I'm still going to, uh, hopefully I don't double tap anything and accidentally like it, right? That, that's the worst <laughs> possible. But, um, but that is what we, what we do with sin. And that, that's who we are. As fallen human beings, we are secret friends of sin. And Mary is not, right? Mary and our Lord are the only two maybe john the baptist and saint joseph somehow got around now they still had concupiscence um we'll see that's a theological point for a different person um and that's not part of it but anyway point is they're not secret friends 
And because they're not secret friends, because Our Lady is not a secret friend of sin, we can go to her when we struggle with sin, right? When I want to increase my, my enmity with sin, well, I should go to her. It does no good. You know, any, it'll always be imperfect if we go to someone who's also a secret friend of sin. Like, hey, I'm secretly friending my sin. Um, and I know you are too, right? Like, uh, so like, who can we go to? Because we're all tainted in some way or another because of fallen humanity. While we're all struggling to overcome our sins, we, um, we're all afflicted with the same wound. Our Lady is not. And so we go to her. We, 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 talk, we bring her all of our concerns. We trust her. Who can I trust, right? Who can I really trust? Um, who can I entrust myself to? Today we, we celebrate, today on this vigil of Our Lady's Feast Day, we celebrate her knight, right? Her soldier, St. Maximilian Kolbe, founder of the Militia Immaculata, right? Mar Mary's shining knight who understood this idea of total consecration to Mary, that we give ourselves entirely to her. We can trust her. She is not a friend of the devil. She is not secretly trying to promote her own sin or foster her own secret relationship with sin, that she is the enemy of sin and that Maximilian Kolbe understood this. We give ourselves entirely to her um, and that we can be then her, her knights, right? The Knights of the Immaculata is how we translate it, militia. Uh, I'm sure that in Polish it's something very eloquent but also difficult to pronounce, but that this, um, this militia of the Immaculata, um, we are Mary's knights when we give ourselves to her in total consecration. And so Maximilian Kolbe, and look at, look at Maximilian Kolbe, right? He, he promoted this Marian consecration. He spread it um, throughout the world. He, he built um, a convent, a city of the Immaculate, not even a convent, a city of the Immaculate in Nagasaki, Japan. But through, through divine premonition, they're like, well, we're going to build it here. He's like, no, put it on the other side of the mountain, right? Um, Again, he probably didn't even know the full read, but we're going to build it. You know, someone's totally docile to her. And nobody that was at the City of the Immaculate on the day that the atomic bomb fell on, um, was dropped on Nagasaki. Um, nobody there was wounded, hurt, burned, anything. Um, but he understood. And then Maximilian Kolbe, at the end of his life, ended in a place which mechanized and, and made efficient the work of the devil. I mean, if you want to call any place in the modern world, maybe the Russian gulags um, were worse, but the, the efficiency of death and dehumanization in Auschwitz and other concentration camps. And this night of Mary Immaculate, totally consecrated to her, went into that situation. In fact, he went willingly. When they came to arrest him, he, he offered no um, resistance. And in fact, he told the brothers, he said, we're going on a mission trip and the Fuhrer is paying our way. Right, and that's where we're we're going on a mission trip. The Nazis are gonna they're gonna pay for us to get there, um, into the heart of darkness at that time. And this night of Mary Immaculate, totally given over to her, who was an enemy of everything that Auschwitz stood for, all of the dehumanization, all of the death. And he went, and in the midst of that, he sanctified, and was a shining light of sanctity, even in the midst of that totally broken and depraved situation. And so we, um, today we can see that with Marian consecration. When we, when we give ourselves totally 
over to Our Lady. That's what we, we need to do. She's the enemy of the devil. She's the enemy of sin. And so we, um, we give ourselves entirely to her. We can trust her. She's not going to secretly betray us because of her own desires, um, because of her own uh, secret friendship with sin. And that the third point is that, you know, not only is this a great blessing and not only is it kind of the result of that enmity between Our Lady and the devil, but that being preserved from bodily corruption should teach us um, that relationship between bodily and spiritual corruption. That Mary, she had no bodily corruption um, at all. At the end of her life, she was preserved entirely from all bodily corruption. Um, and that that is, that is this grace that was given her. And so her body never broke down because she never had spiritual corruption, right? Bodily corruption, what that teaches us is that bodily corruption flows from and is kind of a, a consequence of a, an effect um, of spiritual corruption. And not that it's like a one-to-one one ratio, right? This is where the apostles see the blind man and say, well, who sinned, his, his, this guy or his parents, right? Like, no, no, no. Um, it's not a one-to-one one ratio. But it's a reality that where sin in a, in a world marked by proliferation of sin, bo- our bodies corrupt. And it just goes right back to the book of Genesis. That when there, the disorder of sin was entered into creation, now our bodies will corrupt. As our spirits are corrupted by sin, original sin, um, wounded, deeply wounded, and by personal sin, as our spiritual life is corrupted, um, that's, you know, bodily corruption is, is, again, not in a ratio, but is related to that. Um, Mary had no bodily or spiritual corruption at all, right? She had no spiritual corruption. She was preserved from original sin and all of its effects. Therefore, um, she suffered no bodily corruption. And that she's a model for us of that, that, that there was never any corruption, um, no bodily corruption in our mother. And so that can help us to learn um, how, how bodily corruption, when we suffer any kind of bodily corruption, it could be for us a reminder of sin, right? This is not normal. This, this is not how things should work. But the corruption that we experience in a bodily way, well, it's, it's a, it reminds us of, okay, in a world without sin, this wouldn't happen. Right in a world without sin, we wouldn't get headaches. Uh, just in general, we wouldn't get a headache. You would never have a headache your entire life. You never have a headache in a world without sin. Um, in in and and you could say maybe our lady never had a headache. <laughs> I I don't know. There's ways that maybe she she was preserved. Um, she was preserved from certain things, but also you know voluntarily suffered other things. I, there's there's low and high Mariology and all that. And she lived a very normal life, right? It's never, it's not like they, again, when we go back to Our Lady, the Holy, our St. Joseph, our Lord, they weren't weird, right? They were, they lived a very normal, no one expected. It's like, oh yeah, that girl, of course she's immaculately conceived. Like she never got sick a day in her life, right? I don't know. But sickness had no power over her. Um, absolutely not. She was, she was total unity of body and soul and everything was rightly ordered. And, and physical sickness is a result of original sin. Uh, it, it's an effect of, of that sin. So again, it's not a one-to-one ratio, but it, it should be. What it means is that when we experience 
bodily sickness, when we experience bodily corruption, I don't want to speculate too much on what a prelapsarian, a pre-fall world looks like, but like even just waking up in the morning and being tired, right? Like I'm maybe, I mean, now maybe people before the fall knew how to go to bed on time. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that's just what Adam and Eve knew how to go to bed on time, right? They, or maybe the bodies were, I mean, everything was perfectly subjected to reason. So they definitely knew how to go to bed on time and they knew when it's time to go to bed, they go to bed. Okay, whatever. The point is, when we experience this suffering and even a type of corruption, um, we, with supernatural vision, can look at that as, okay, this is a result of original sin and I'm going to suffer this. I'm going to offer it um, in, in reparation for sin, right? Because our Lord, who accepted the, the biggest penalty for sin, death, and a cruel death, injustice and and rejection our lord um our our lord bore that even though he didn't need to and so even though my personal physical sufferings may not be a one-to-one relationship um when we experience them we can offer them in union with our lord um for the salvation of the world and that we should see like okay i you know I have a stuffy nose today. I don't. Uh, that's maybe a COVID symptom now. Who knows? I don't have a stuffy nose today. Um, but if I had a stuffy nose today, instead of just being like, oh, this is miserable. I hate stuffy noses. Um, like to be like, okay, this is a result of their fact that there's sin in the world. And I'm going to offer this um, in, in reparation for, for sin. I'm going to offer this stuffy nose back to God to make up for the sins by which he is offended, right? Maybe a stuffy nose only covers like minor venial sins, right? But any other, any, whatever it could be, maybe if it's a bad one, it could cover some, you know, bigger, whatever it is, who knows? God works out all the details and the accounting. But then we just say, I could offer this to you, Lord. I didn't get enough sleep last night, so now I'm tired. I'm really tired. Okay, well, I'm gonna offer that to you, right? My sister's at home with one sick kid, um, trying to do work. Sick, sick babies don't sleep and it's kind of like she's not even sick and she's the one who has to stay up right but then there's something to that like you know maybe she really hasn't slept in four days um okay there's an extreme exhaustion and tiredness that that can can creep in there uh, especially with two kids because then one's sick and they're not sleeping at night and the other one's not sick so they're sleeping at night but not during the day and it's just like well when's mom gonna sleep um and okay but you offer that you offer that to our Lord. You, um, you say, okay, I'm, I'm really exhausted right now, but I can see that relationship between physical sickness, physical corruption, and spiritual corruption. And so I can offer that to our Lord. Mary needed to suffer none of these things, that she was preserved from all spiritual corruption. As a result, she was preserved from all bodily corruption. And we hope to reach in glory where, where she... Our mother has gone before us. Uh, and so on the assumption, it can be a helpful thing to look at that. That when, you know, just to, to have a renewed resolve. That when different forms of death and corruption approach us, that we, um, that we who are sinful, we who are guilty of sin, that we say, I, okay, I can, I can bear this. I can accept this. Um, I can bear this out of love, out of reparation for my own sins, my own secret friendship with sin. Um, and as well... Out of, um, 
out of reparation for the sins of others. And so the, what a great feast tomorrow is. Um, we are going to renew at the Sunday Masses here at St. Francis our parish consecration to Our Lady. But we should each, you know, if we've made a personal consecration to Our Lady, tomorrow is a great day to renew that consecration, um, to, to again offer our mother everything in love, um, to, to rejoice in her blessing, and then to resolve that when, um, when we're confronted with bodily or, or uh, you know, particularly bodily suffering, that we offer that as in reparation for our own spiritual um, faults and spiritual uh, corruption and for the corruption of others. So we ask our mother to pray for us uh, that as we celebrate her Assumption Day, um, we may offer her all fitting honor and praise.